This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. My name is Erin Benziger. I'm your host, and if you've been listening for the past several weeks, you know that we have been walking through the Gospel of John, just doing um, a very high-level, oh... I don't know if you can call it a Bible study, but just a high-level overview of this incredible gospel. And I hope it's been encouraging you to dig into John's gospel a little bit more and do some of your own study because we are not even scratching the surface here. And today, ladies, our study brings us to John chapter 11. And so grab your Bibles, grab a cup of tea, that's what I have, and let's jump in. John chapter 11, just a reminder, ladies, that I read from the ESV most of the time anyway. This is a familiar chapter. We all know the name of Lazarus, don't we? Verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, let's just pause there briefly, ladies. Does that kind of remind you of anything? Do you you sense a little bit of deja vu here? I do when I read this. I think back two chapters to John chapter 9. Um, and the man who had been blind from birth, where the disciples ask Jesus, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so there's a bit of a parallel here where Jesus is saying, you know, this is for the glory of God. This illness does not lead to death. So this This is demonstrating the reality, ladies, that God is glorified in every situation, regardless of whether it is positive or negative from our perception, because God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? And so he is glorified even in a death or an illness or blindness. God is glorified through COVID-19, if you will. All right, moving on. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And we're going to pause there again, ladies, because I want us to think about this. Jesus talking about the light and talking about the darkness, walking in the light, you stumble in the darkness. Think back again. Jesus says he is the light of the world. And even in that 
a chapter that we just re- referred back to, chapter 9, Jesus says, the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why this man is blind. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And I was talking about that he's doing this day-night thing again. And so this theme of light, of hours in a day, day, darkness, night, it's kind of a recurring theme in John. And it even carries over into his letters. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so here we're talking about the, the hours left in the day, night is coming, walk in the day. Jesus is trying to explain here, there's still time for him to do his work. You know, he's on his way to the cross, but there's still time for him to do his work here in chapter 11 as Lazarus is dying. All right, verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus has to tell them straight up, right? That's my version, not the ESV. He says, Lazarus has died. Come on, guys. Stick with me here. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, oh, Thomas, he says, let us go also that we might die with him. Well, that's loyalty there, right there. All right, so we've got this theme, this ongoing theme of working during the day, night is coming, we've got the death of Lazarus. We have this concept as well that I don't want us to overlook um, in the broader, more prominent themes that are in this chapter, ladies, and that's this reality that Jesus was friends with this family. He was friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Yes, he was friends even with Mary and Martha. I know. Shocking. It can be done. It wasn't just that he was friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Oh, you know, they were just kind of hanging around baking the cookies in the kitchen. He was friends with this entire family. and, And we see that and we'll continue to see it as he goes to them and he speaks to the sisters. So don't lose sight of that. And I just I just really love that image of being friends with Jesus in that capacity. All right, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's showing her faith here. You know, if you'd been here, you would have stopped this, Lord, but God will do whatever you ask of him. You are, you are God. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha's very clearly affirming Christ as God here. She's very obviously affirming his deity. 
And we see here too another I am statement. These are smattered throughout the Gospel of John. And here Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everybody's going to die. It's the result of sin, right? And if you're Christian, you've probably heard some sort of teaching on spiritual death and physical death. Like we all know, even if we aren't Christians, we understand physical death, but there's this element of spiritual death as well, which is why we must be born again. Back to John chapter three. This second death is eternal condemnation for us. It's this immense eternal consequence of our sin. But those who are born again in Christ don't experience that second death and are instead raised to eternal life. And the Jews understood this. It's all throughout the Old Testament, this idea of resurrection. And you can see that right there in what Martha says. She says, well, yes, I know he will rise again on the last day. So she's a very knowledgeable woman, very knowledgeable of her scriptures. But here we see that Jesus is seeking to teach her that he alone, right now, right then, in that present time, is the true only source of life. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He doesn't just give life. He is life. I am the resurrection in the life. He can not only raise the dead, he raised himself. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep, right? 1 Corinthians 15. And so Jesus is affirming all of these things and explaining these things to Martha here. All right, so moving back through the story of verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, remember, there were people around, there were professional mourners, no doubt, um, and others who were there to truly comfort and console the family. But Martha goes to her sister and, you know, kind of whispers, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. She wanted to see this friend who could have saved her brother and now what will happen what will he do verse 30 now jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where martha had met him when the jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw mary rise quickly and go out they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there when mary came to jesus and saw him she fell at his feet saying to him same thing that martha had said lord if you'd been here my brother would not have died when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, of course he could have, but he has a greater, higher plan, doesn't he? And something that stands out to me when I read this passage, ladies, um, I'm trying to look at things that we don't commonly hear the sermons on because we're just taking this bird's eye view of it. And so you've heard all of the sermons, you know, on these, these prominent themes. And so looking at the friendship that Jesus had with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and then looking at Jesus' response to these two sisters and his approach to speaking with them, he's very matter of fact with Martha. That's something that I notice. And remember, 
Martha was the one who was all busy in the kitchen and getting all wigged out that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. They're two very different people. They're sisters, but they are very different people. And so he's very matter of fact, very straightforward with Martha. And with Mary, he's moved by her weeping. Ladies, this just reminds me and comforts me and encourages me in remembering that Jesus knows us personally, intimately. He created us and he didn't just create our form and our flesh and our bones and our organs. He created our personalities, didn't he? He created our quirks. He made us who we are. And so he knows us and he knows how to deal with each one of us. And he does deal with us individually and appropriately. That's why we don't all have an identical salvation story. Yes, at the end of the day, we've, we were all brought to repentance and faith in Christ. And so that is the ultimate salvation story. That's, that's, you know, one way of salvation, but he doesn't bring us all to that point in the same way. Some of us come to faith early in life. Some of us come to faith later in life. Some of us have to go through a lot and be at the bottom of the barrel looking up. Others of us graciously don't have to go through all of that to be brought to faith. And just seeing that the way he interacts with these two sisters reminds me of that. And you also see the humanity of him in these stories. So, you know, just a moment ago, we see his deity affirmed, but you also see that humanity of Jesus, that true human nature that he had. Remember, fully man, fully God. And ladies, just a reminder that he is still that way as he reigns in heaven today. He has not lost that full human nature that he had. Jesus today is as he was here in our scriptures. So he didn't ascend to heaven and become some nebulous God floating around out there. He is Jesus as we see him in the scriptures. Just things that I think of as I read through. All right, moving on. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, he stinketh, right? King James Version. He's been dead four days. He's going to smell more than a little funky. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And he doesn't need to be reminded that God hears him. He knows this, but he's saying this. He says it out loud here on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Side note, I was watching um, The Greatest Story Ever Told the other day, or I don't know, about a week ago. And um, I did not watch it all the way through because it's kind of boring. Um, but I wanted to see the Lazarus scene because I couldn't remember. It had been years since I had seen it and I, I couldn't remember what they did for that scene. You know, do they have this man like hopping out and, you know, all wrapped up in, in linen cloths or whatever. So there's nothing at all like that. There's just a lot of angelic-esque music and bright lights and it was pretty lame. Um, so if you sit down to watch The Greatest Story Ever Told, 
there are no great special effects for that particular scene. Just FYI. All right. So this idea of four days, you know, Jesus deliberately stayed two more days. Lazarus had been dead four days by the time he came, um, you know, and there's a lot of technicalities and details around there that aren't necessarily all that important for us for us to get into here. You're welcome to study them if you want to. But something interesting and something you may have heard before is that there, there was this idea among the Jews um, that like the, a person's soul or spirit kind of hung around for a few days after they died. Um, and actually, I found a reference to this in Ryle's commentary. Uh, he says, Lightfoot mentions a very curious tradition of the Jews. They say after death, the spirit hovers about the sepulcher, waiting to see if it may return to the body. But when it sees the look of the face of the corpse change, then it hovers no more, but leaves the body to itself. He also adds, they do not certify of the dead except within three days after decease, for after three days, the countenance changes. So deliberately waiting that long, the Jews, in the Jews' mind, Lazarus was indeed dead. Had Jesus come right away, they could have referenced back to their little mythological belief there that the spirit was hovering and it just, you know, it was able to re-inhabit the body. At this point, they can't fall back on that. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. All right, so then we get into this plot to kill Jesus. So a dead man has been raised, kind of a big deal. But on one hand, many who were there believed in Jesus when they saw this. Verse 46, though, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, whether they went excited to talk about it or whether they went to be like, hey, you need to kill this guy. I don't know. But the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered around the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. And this is how God uses even the unsaved to declare and carry out his purposes. Caiaphas says, you don't understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And John explains this to us right here. He says, Caiaphas didn't say this of his own accord, but he was high priest that year and he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's us if we're Gentiles. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So Jesus raises a man from the dead. I mean, he's doing these amazing miracles, but now they want to put him to death. He's a threat. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. And so when we see this plot to kill Jesus, I mean, this is just the wickedness of man on full display, isn't it? Verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So here these Pharisees are and all the other people who want to kill Jesus they're going up to the Passover to purify themselves and be all holy and to 
you know, make sure that they observe all the legalistic rules of their man-made religion. Now, the Passover, of course, ordained in Scripture, but they're far more concerned with following those rules and doing all of that, never mind the fact that they're plotting the death of the Son of God, who fulfills all of that, all of those Old Testament. They're completely missing Christ in this, completely missing Christ. All right, ladies, we're running a little bit over. So um, as an endorsement today, I would just say, why not check out the Out of the Ordinary blog? Um, there's a link on equipandeve.com that you can find it, and it's um, out-of-theordinary.blogspot.com. So just type in Out of the Ordinary blog into Google. That'll be faster. Um and it's Out of the Ordinary, Solid Theology, Building Solid Women. So um, it's a group of women who blog here and uh, some good stuff to find here. Just some good short thoughts um, by women for women. So just something for you to check out. And as a parting thought, ladies, I just want to ask you, you know, do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we have the faith that Martha displayed, but she didn't understand that Jesus was the resurrection and the life and that he could bring Lazarus back to life again? Do we believe that he is who he says he is and is our focus on him and not on the outward rituals and the man-made rules that look holy but that are completely void of Jesus? Just something for all of us to consider today. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Thank you.